Welcome to the One Haas Podcast. I'm Chris Kim. Today, we have Ali Bergara, Berkeley Haas MBA 2022 and associate at B Partners. Ali takes her quest for large-scale impact and connecting with people into venture capital at B Partners, investing in people, building disruptive technologies. Ali, welcome, and great to have you on the show. It's great to be here with you today. You have a really a global background, academics, and then also you had a career before you came to, to Haas and Berkeley. Could you share a bit about your origin story, you know, and what's the story behind your story? Uh, just so, so many awesome things. We'd love to learn more about that. Yeah, I was born and raised in Chile, though I lived in the U.S. for a brief period, and I'll come back to this. I was fortunate enough to have parents that encouraged me to explore the real non-existing limits of my curiosity and who supported me through, you know, any kind of new experience that I wanted to have or any new skill that I wanted to pick up. While at the same time, having three younger brothers who forced me to push myself beyond my comfort zone, especially in sports. And that's definitely shaped the person who I am today. Fast forwarding quite a little bit, uh, I was living in the U.S. with my family um, from when I was 10 until I was 16, and I was starting my sophomore year of high school and realized I was really approaching a turning point in the sense that, you know, I felt like I either went back home when I was 16 and sort of reconnected with my roots, my culture, my family and friends, or I finished high school, applied to college here in the U.S. And, you know, after 12 years, it probably would have been really hard to go back. So I talked to my parents. I said, parents, I need to go back. And so I did. And actually, my whole family ended up moving back. So really grateful that I wasn't at it alone. I finished high school and undergrad in Chile. And the thing is, what's hard, I guess, about choosing your degree in, in Chile is that you have to choose a career path when you're 18. And to be honest, oh, wow. at that point, I was between engineering, business, but also psychology, design. And as a true generalist, I ended up choosing finance and economics. When I looked for my first job, it was kind of the same thing, the same type of problem. And I chose the trading desk at JP Morgan because I wanted to kind of twofold. I wanted to be part of a global organization, just to sort of go back to this idea of living abroad when I was younger, coming back to Chile, My family is also part Chilean, but largely British as well. So there's a lot of that common thread. And I also wanted to be part of a fast-moving sector. And there's really nothing like sales and training and trading derivatives in emerging markets to keep you on the edge of your seat. I don't even have to go into detail, (laughs) but you can probably imagine what that looks like. You know, the problem, though, is... J.P. Morgan is a massive organization. It's super structured and your job kind of starts somewhere and ends somewhere. And the only way to grow, or not the only way, but it's, it's a really vertical growth path. And I just felt that I wasn't ready for something like that. So I moved to an emerging asset manager, kind of still keeping that finance track because I just think it's fascinating. Like I love markets and just how dynamic they truly are. And the partners at Falcom were former colleagues of my manager, J.P. Morgan, so that's how I got connected. And what I liked is that when they hired me, they told me, look, we like you as a person. We'll figure out the role later. And this uncertainty and sort of like flexibility really appealed to me. And I think that's something that's very common throughout my life. 
at Falcom, I grew from being a client PM, so more of a sales role, to being a research analyst and eventually running two funds as a portfolio manager. And I'd say that my favorite experience there was building a fund from scratch. So finding a problem with the existing products that we had, understanding the need for something different, designing and developing a new strategy, and then all the way to obviously executing, fundraising, and finally operating the fund. The problem is I realized I liked that whole process way more than actually operating. And once it was up and running, it's sort of the excitement kind of went down. It was a great and, you know, very intellectually stimulating job. But I sort of started thinking, what's the true impact that I'm having here? Like, it feels like in any career at the beginning, you just sort of want to be like an absorbing sponge and just learn a ton. But then at some point, you sort of want to turn around and be like, okay, I've learned a bunch. Now, what am I giving back? And the second thing that I started noticing was a developing trend of just the best graduates from top schools in Chile not going directly into consulting and investment banking, but going into tech and startups. And I was missing out. Like, I, I just felt like I was on my lane and I couldn't reach out to the other one. So after a lot of back and forth with my manager, who I love dearly and still talk to this day, I quit. And I was like, hey, so oh, what's my next step? And I slammed my GMAT studies and applications to three months and got into Haas round two. Oh, my gosh. That's an amazing story, Ali. You know, for a lot of us who go through this process, and it was my personal experience as well, one of the things that I often have gotten the question about is, hey, especially if your career was going in a good direction before the MBA program, why even invest the time, money, and effort to go through that? Yeah. I mean, I think one thing I have to say is I have to thank my dad because he really planted the seed of studying and living abroad in me from when I was quite young. So that was always sort of in the back of my mind. It was it was somewhere in my future plan. It's not like it was something that I just I made it sound like I just came up with it. It was something that I had always been thinking sort of like in the back end. And when I started having these questions of what's next, and I just really hated seeing, like really visualizing and seeing what was coming next. And it was all great, but I didn't want to have that level mm. of certainty and have everything so figured out being 20-something. And so I mm. think that's when I realized I want to change and I want something drastically different, not just a pivot or sort of like a tack that's kind of similar mm. to what I'm already doing. And so I thought, okay, if I want to get exposure to technology and sort of the mix between cultural changes, which is sort of what I talked about in terms of this trend that I was seeing with top students migrating from the traditional career paths to different things, as well as the tech that was enabling that change. I was like, it's the Bay Area. It's San Francisco. I already lived out on the East Coast. Great. Loved it. But also, I, I want to see something a little bit different. And as an international it's just harder. It's harder to sort of say, okay, I'm just going to apply, you know, cold email folks and, and apply to jobs cold. And like, no one really knows what the hell, like, what is that university that you went to? What's that place that you worked at? So it's sort of like, and not to, then we can have a conversation about how great the MBA truly is. But I saw it at the beginning as sort of like a stamp of approval, more of like a signaling type of thing rather than anything else. And I also thought, okay, this is a great time for me to really take a step back and think, you know, I know it's the entrepreneurial ecosystem, but where exactly do I fit within it? Now, one more thing that I'll say is, and this is sort of like a message to international students, is folks tell you 
don't do the three-way pivot. <laughs> don't try to move countries, change industries, and change roles. Choose two and then just forget about the third. And I think if you're very determined and if you know what you want, yes, it is harder, but it can definitely be done. I've, I've seen lots of people beyond my own experience who have been able to do it. That's awesome. When I've talked to international students at Haas, one of the things is really this cost-benefit analysis. Can you share a bit about the, maybe just some of the logistics of like getting to campus, oh especially God. in your case, you know, timed it with a pandemic. So it was probably the, the most challenging time and probably a really challenging experience at that. Yeah, I'm getting like traumatic flashbacks from like the whole visa, <laughs> you know, everything closing down. But yeah, I think you make a good point there. And as an international, you don't just think about coming to business school as, okay, what's the best, what's the ranking? And these are my five options. I think it's a lot more holistic because when you're moving abroad, it's a big change. And so you're thinking about a ton of different things. And in my case, it was, I know that I want to end up in the Bay Area. What's the best way to get there? And Despite the fact that I did apply to some schools out on the East Coast and stuff, I knew that to me that was sort of like my backup plan. I wanted it to be West Coast for sure. And that was my first, second, and third choice. Also, I went to a private Catholic school. I went to the more conservative undergrad. And so I just wanted a different experience. I wanted to be surrounded by people that were different and that thought different. And so that sort of ruled out a bunch of really good schools for me that I just didn't apply to because it wasn't necessarily what I was looking for in a more holistic sense. And the last thing, and this is very personal to me, I'm a huge, huge outdoors and endurance athlete. So West Coast is yeah. just, you know, step change, like orders of magnitude better for all that stuff than the East Coast. So that was also a big part of it for sure. You're one of the folks who came during the pandemic, and that was that's very unique. Can you talk a little bit about that? So before even coming to business school, I remember I was debating, okay, first of all, as an international, you had the option to either defer and join instead of the class of 2022, it would have been the class of 2023. So I thought about that for a little bit, but honestly, I kind of had already made up my mind. I really had my next step laid out in front of me and I really wanted to do it. And then I also saw coming to business school during the pandemic as a good opportunity in the sense that a lot of things were going to change. That's kind of the way I saw it. And being a student, I felt was the best way to sort of experience that change and really learn about things that were going to be dramatically different if we were able to get out of it or when we got out of it. And so I kind of saw it as like a great opportunity to be a student rather than to be, you know, working and, and sort of trying to do everything business as usual when the world was not business as usual. And then the second thing is at some point, you know, the U.S. embassy was closed and so we couldn't even get our visas. And I just like, well, I was like, OK, well, I guess if I can't be there for the first semester, I'll just come in December. Luckily, we all got an email on like a Monday and we scheduled because there were eight of us Chileans in the class and we all had our visa appointments the next day, got our visa stamps on our passports in like four days. And then I was like, crap, I have to sell everything. Now I'm actually moving. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, I got to Haas like once, I think, second or third week of class. Like we were about to go into midterms and it was that weekend 
the orange day. Mm. That was my like, welcome to the Bay Area. This is where you're going to be living in the next two years. So definitely had some second thoughts. <laughs> you know, we were locked inside and it wasn't because of COVID. It was because of forest fires and air quality. Mm. So it wasn't the best start. But I guess, you know, after that, everything, everything was uphill. So that was kind of the beginning. I will say, I think our class did a really good job in terms of making the most of this first year that was fully remote. Business school is known for just a lot of breadth in terms of the amount of people that you're interacting with, the amount of things that you get involved in. And it's not really about depth. And I think we had the unique opportunity of getting both experiences where the first year was a lot more about depth because you were hanging out with smaller crews. You didn't necessarily have to be in Berkeley. So we rented a house for a week in Bend, Oregon with a group of 10 people. Oh, wow. Um, and it was just like those sorts of, you know, inviting two people over for dinner and just having a really great conversation. That was kind of my first year experience. And then my second year was kind of like, you know, what you're used to with the whole business school experience. So obviously I'm painting the rosy picture here, but I feel very fortunate in terms of Given the context and what other folks were going through, my class and I were just super lucky to have the experience that we had. And in terms of getting involved, yes, it was definitely harder because it's not like you could physically walk over and meet people or get involved in things or walk over to the School of Engineering or the School of Design. So I personally, the first thing that I did was apply to a bunch of fellowships that were looking for venture fellows or anything like that which would sort of give me a platform to get involved in the entrepreneurial ecosystem outside of Haas. And then I also took electives outside of business school, which I encourage everyone to do because Haas is one great business school, but we're also part of a much larger, broader, incredible public university. And so the fact that we can do that is amazing. And you only get the chance to do that during two years of your life, unless you're auditing classes, but that, that's a separate topic. So that was my way of getting involved in extracurriculars, given that you kind of had to plan it. You had to be a little bit more structured about how you got involved because there weren't happy hours or, you know, social events happening at all. It was everything had to be structured and planned. So it was a little harder at the beginning, for sure. Yeah. You know, you kind of talked about pivoting into venture capital, and you actually did it. You eventually landed at B Partners. But can you talk a little bit about that journey specifically? You know, it's a little bit less structured and the post-MBA experience is not as clear as, you know, maybe going to consulting or a major tech company or even finance. There's kind of two ways of thinking about this in terms of your strategy, right? One is to double down on your strengths. And the second one is to really work on your weaknesses in terms of what you need or sort of like what's expected of you in a different role. And I think I sort of played it twofold in the sense that the activities that I got involved in and just sort of like the type of work that I did externally was more doubling down on my strengths while internally and like in a safe space where I could just be vulnerable, it was really doubling down on my weaknesses. And that was more of on the finance, on the business side of things, like obviously that's the side that I do understand and that I have the expertise in. But in terms of being an early stage founder and just understanding what that journey looks like, you know, I didn't necessarily have that experience. It had been a bunch of like small side hustles and running more of like CPG type businesses, but I had never started a tech company. And so 
I kind of did both. So again, sort of externally painting the picture of me as this person who knew what they were doing, but really internally being like, oh, crap, I have to work on all these different skills and just get this experience that I don't have. And that was a mix of taking a lot of applied learning classes, a lot of, you know, entrepreneurship, sort of learn the lean startup methodology, start a bunch of companies, pitch to investors, do that across schools too, because, you know, it's great to have a bunch of MBAs on your team, but then who's going to build stuff? So it was, you know, teaming up with, with engineers and undergrads, other master's degree students. And so that was great. In terms of, yes, totally right that consulting, it's a pretty structured path. You know what you're doing and there's timelines. Same thing with big tech. VCs are always and never hiring. What I mean by that is they always need help. They always need support, just given the structure of most funds where you have, it's almost like an inverted triangle where normally a big corporation, you know, you have one person at the head and then it sort of grows down into a pyramid. This is sort of flipped where you have a bunch of partners at the top and then you don't really have much support underneath that. And so these funds are always looking for interns, for fellows, whatnot, but not necessarily someone to stay on board full time. It's how their business model is structured and we can talk about that another time. But Given that, you know, that there's not a lot of support, obviously there's no formal process in most of them unless it's like a really big fund or a multi-stage fund. And so it's a lot more networking and you figuring out how you can be valuable from the beginning. And so I'm not the type of person to just, you know, schedule a coffee chat and talk about whatever. It's like I need to know what I'm going to offer and sort of have my plan and my bullets. So that's why I think getting involved in things like Skydeck, getting involved in Courtyard Ventures and just being plugged into the ecosystem and what was happening, who in my class was starting companies, and really not just the what, but the so what. So when I say that is, it's not just who's starting a company, but what are like the general trends? What are folks interested in? There was a lot of push in like digital health and stuff like that, most likely because of COVID. Also, lots of folks looking at climate sustainability and just sort of like mapping that out. And then you can take it higher and higher level, right? So again, having kind of like an ear on the ground was just like my excuse to reach out to folks and have these coffee chats that suck at the beginning, but then you just sort of get better and it snowballs from there. Yeah. And running a startup is a lot like being an endurance athlete. And I know that's a super big passion for you. Can you talk a little bit about that? I know. I know you're scheduled to run a, a huge triathlon in, in a couple of days. So it's congrats to you on that. What has that experience like, you know, in the interactions that you've had with maybe founders or folks in the ecosystem, really being in a true pre-seed fund? And, and how does that translate to your experience in, in kind of endurance athletics and the experience that you've had there? Oh, man, there's so many parallels. And I'm actually trying. I, I should start writing these down because there's so many different things that I've learned through my experience training that align a lot to sort of the the day-to-day stuff that I do with founders because at B, we really focus on that partnership model. And so that means, you know, meeting with founders sometimes on a weekly basis or more if they need it. And then also pushing back and sort of meeting with them once a month or once a quarter if it makes sense and just really supporting them any way that we can. And so I've seen a lot of parallels there. The first thing is it's a marathon, not a sprint. And that means that you probably want things to happen now 
but it's really important to just focus on what you have in front of you. Have a vision of what you want the future to look like, what you want success to look like, but really hold it there. Because like you can't do both at the beginning. You have to focus on the present moment. And as you make progress, you start sort of like incorporating that future vision to whatever it is you're doing. But at the beginning, it's just about, okay, where am I? And what does the next, you know, short iteration cycle look like? So for me, it's when I'm training, I have like micro cycles and macro cycles. And the micro cycles are just sort of like my four week sprint and kind of like what that looks like within a broader cycle that, you know, depending on on what it is I'm working on. Is it volume? Is it reps and just speed? Is it getting stronger, getting faster? It really depends on sort of like where you're at. At the beginning, you always screw up, always. I got really badly injured. And it was because I wasn't, I wasn't paying attention to these cycles and sort of like the cadence of just like how training is meant to go. I thought that I could just do everything and take on all the hard things at the beginning and that things were going to work out. And no, <laughs> <laughs> I also needed time to sort of not take a break, but just like you need to recover. And that has to be put in your cycle of work as well. And the one thing that I think is really resonates when I think about startups and just like metrics and, and making sure that you're super data driven is that I guess like the younger generations of athletes aren't just necessarily training more, they're training smarter. And so that means not necessarily more hours or more volume, but really hitting certain metrics, whether it's, again, pace, watts. And I think there's ways of getting the same results, but just being a lot smarter about it. And the way to do that is tracking yourself and looking at your data and making sure that, you know, things are going the way they're meant to be going. And if they're not, then you need to make a change, whether it's to that specific routine, to that specific plan. Maybe it's your trainer. Maybe it's your diet. I don't know. But it's sort of like just being really in tune with what's happening. And taking action and being decisive, even though you don't have the full answer of what's happening, but clearly changes need to be made. And if things are going well, then great. So I think that's part of it. And then the last thing I'll say, and this is sort of related to kind of how I'm feeling now, because I started working three months ago. And at the beginning, it was just like, oh my God, this is so much. <laughs> and I feel slow and everything is so manual. And I'm like, not, you know, I don't have my structure and, and my automation in place. And it reminds me that progress is not linear. Normally, you're doing great, you're progressing, and then you hit a plateau. And this is very, very real as an athlete. Like, feel it, right? It's like you're, you're making progress week over week. You're like, oh my God, I'm getting better. And then all of a sudden you're just stuck and you just don't get better for a while until something unlocks. And then boom, you get pushed to like the next phase. And then it happens again. And it's sort of the same thing here. It's sort of like right now, again, I feel that I'm being, that I'm slow and that I'm not necessarily performing as maybe I, the memory that I have myself in my last job, obviously after four years, things are different. But I just remind myself, like, just be patient. If it hurts, it's because you're making progress. Yeah. Yeah, Ali, it's, that's awesome. We're coming to the close of your podcast, but we have a tradition here at Haas to maybe share some words of wisdom to the Haas community and, and folks who might be inspired by your story and your background. Would you mind just sharing some words of wisdom, either related to your work or otherwise, that you'd love to just share with our community and 
any calls to actions or or anything that you might want to share with with the broader Haas ecosystem? So I think there's been a constant in my life, and I've thought about this a lot. And I'm someone who, again, likes to sort of have control of this. It's weird, right? Because on one side, I like to have control of the situation and I have all my bullets and my pros and cons. But then at the same time, I hate control and I want things to be dynamic and I want things to change. And I like uncertainty. I really, really enjoy and I feel comfortable in it. So it's this interesting thing where I feel like every important decisions that I've had to make, although I've done a lot of rational thinking, in the end, it comes down to intuition. And I think that's kind of like my inspiration here. It's when you have to decide between different paths, rationality doesn't really help. Being rational helps you look at pros and cons, but you can very quickly and easily trick yourself into thinking this option is right. And then two seconds later saying, no, 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 but this one is better because of whatever other reason. And so when you're thinking about these like sort of broader scale paths or large decisions, it's really about your gut, honestly. And then rationalization is great for execution. It's great for, okay, I decided my path and now, you know, let me write this down and sort of figure out where I want to go from here. But yeah, listen to what you feel. You know, I think connecting with your inner self and having that awareness Internal and external awareness can go a really, really long way. Yeah, I've been super inspired by our conversation today and super inspired to have you here as our guest on the podcast. I want to thank you again so much for joining us and, and being our guest on the show today. Wish you all the best and, and be partners all the best in the future. And of course, we have to end it with a Go Bears. Go Bears. Thanks so much, Chris. Great to talk to you too. And I look forward to listening to so many more podcasts to come. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of the One Haas Podcast. If you enjoyed our show today, please remember to hit that subscribe or follow button on your favorite podcast player. We'd also really appreciate you giving us a five-star rating and review. If you're looking for more content, please check out our website at haas.fm. That's spelled H-A-A-S dot F-M. There you can subscribe to our monthly newsletter and check out some of our other Berkeley House podcasts. And until next time, go Bears. <laughs>